We've had some really good occasions, haven't we, in our national life over the last year or two to celebrate together the royal wedding a couple of years ago and the Queen's Diamond Jubilee last year and then the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympics and Paralympics. Times of great celebration and joy, the result of months and in most cases years of careful planning. Of course, you hope and pray that nothing's going to go wrong on the day, but many of us will remember the day after London was told they were going to get the 2012 Games, the London bombings, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one that prayed hard through those Olympic Games that nothing like that would happen again and breathed a sigh of relief when we got to the end. It would be unthinkable, wouldn't it, if terrorist activity had come out again at that time. Hard to imagine the devastation that celebration could turn to catastrophe in one quick moment. But you know, that's exactly what happened in this Bible reading that we've just heard. Only the disaster wasn't the result of terrorist activity, it was something that came from the hand of God. And in a sense, that makes it even more shocking, doesn't it? What were the Israelites to make of what happened? And what are we to make of it? Well, just to set the scene, David was anointed, of course, by Samuel to be king when he was just a young man. And for many years, he was unjustly treated. He was hounded by Saul, the then then king. And now he's finally come to the throne. And it's clear that he's got an anointing from God. He's enjoyed great success in battle and blessing in his family life. People could see that God was with him. And the Bible describes him as as a man who had a heart after God's heart. David really wanted to please God and honour him in every way. And part of what he wanted to do was to make worship central to the nation. And so he decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant. This was the Ark that contained the most holy things and was the most powerful symbol of God's presence in the nation. He wanted to bring that ark up to the city of David, up to Jerusalem, where it could take its rightful place at the centre of worship and not just be wheeled out as a mascot in battle. It was a good intention and something that David's officials and the whole nation were behind him in. So they planned this massive event to bring the ark up to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story today in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The ark's been placed onto a new cart and it's being pulled by oxen. In verse 5, we read that David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. A very joyful occasion. You can picture the scene, can't you? And suddenly, disaster strikes. The oxen stumbles and the ark's in danger of toppling off. So Uzzah reaches out a hand to steady it. And then in verse 7 we read that the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Struck down, dead. In one brief moment, this scene of colourful, joyful celebration must have been transformed into shock horror, either deep wailing or stunned silence. Doesn't really bear thinking about, does it? Now David's first reaction in verse 8 was to become angry, and in one sense, who can blame him? You feel that sense of injustice, because after all, Uzzah was only looking out for the ark. I mean, surely it was better that it was steadied than it should crash to the ground. 
And anyway, David was doing all of this for the Lord. He wanted to bring honor to his name. You can almost hear him saying, God, how could you allow this to happen? But David's anger in verse 9 turns to holy fear. And the ark gets sent to the home of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. I don't know what he did to warrant it, but anyway, it got sent there. It doesn't say, but you can only imagine that there must have followed a period of sober reflection. After a season of everything going swimmingly well for David, a reminder that the source and reason for his success was God, that it all begins and ends with him. Yes, God does desire and deserve our worship and service, but he's a holy God, and we can only draw near on his terms. So David's intentions to bring the ark to Jerusalem were good, but his preparations were lacking. He'd sought the opinions of the people, but not of God. Because if he'd been more thorough, he'd have remembered that the ark should never have been put on a cart. God had given very clear specification about how the ark was to be carried on poles, on the uh, shoulders of the Levites, the priests, who were specially set apart by God to handle the holy things. You pick that up by reading back through the early chapters of Leviticus about how it happens, but also in the parallel account of this story in 1 Chronicles 15, when David says, I realize now why what happened happened. God's judgment on Uzzah must have seemed severe to David, but actually it was a reality check for him. A reminder that God is a holy God and that God's holiness must be revered and honoured. And I don't know, but is it possible that on the role of his success and popularity, David had begun to see himself perhaps as invincible? That creeping pride that so easily comes with fame. Who gets the glory when things go well? There's a lesson for us in it, isn't it? All of us. One of the Proverbs in the Old Testament says this, the purity of a human heart is tested by giving them a little fame. The purity of the human heart is tested by giving them a little fame. So this incident with David was a reality check, but you see him in the end responding with humility. How can the ark of God come to me? And you know, humility is probably one of the most important qualities in Christian leadership. You only have to look at Jesus to see that, don't you? So do pray for all of us, but particularly for those of us in leadership, that God gives us that grace that we need to humble ourselves and to walk with him. And protection, I think, against that pride that can so easily creep, creep in. Anyway, back to the story in um, 2 Samuel chapter 6. The ark was taken to the home of Obed-Edom, and for three months it stayed there. And we read that blessing came to him and all his household, and David got to hear about it. And he knew that it was the right thing to try again, to bring the ark up to Jerusalem so that it could take its rightful place there at the heart of Jewish worship. But this time he made sure he did it God's way the right way. So a second procession was planned and enacted, and the ark was carried on poles by the Levites as God had ordained. And not only that, but in verse 13, we're told that after six steps were taken, a bull and a fattened calf were slaughtered, a reminder that sacrifice is central to worship, that it's only through the shedding of blood that God's people can draw near to the holy God. 
And then in verse 14, we hear how David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. You get that scene, don't you, of one of reverence, of awe, a somehow more humbled David, worshipping the Lord, his king. And the ark made safe passage up to Jerusalem because it was done the right way. So what are the lessons for us as we draw near to worship? What is the right and the holy way for us to do it? Well, I guess that many of us, perhaps most of us, will have had moments like David when you get a bit of a reality check, where suddenly something happens and we become aware of our own sinfulness and of the fact that we've fallen a long way short of God's glory. Those are really uncomfortable times, aren't they? but so important for us to acknowledge them and then to respond to them. A little while ago, I found myself involved in a very privileged ministry situation. I knew God was with me, and I knew that God's blessing was on me and was working through me. But I became aware on one partic- that one particular decision I'd made, there was an element of pride that had crept in. And I really didn't feel good about it. In fact, when I came to pray the next day, I felt quite distant from God. So I thought back over what had happened the previous day and realized what had triggered these feelings. And like David says in Psalm 32, I didn't cover over my sin. I simply came and I acknowledged it to God, asked for his cleansing, his healing, and his forgiveness. And you know, the transformation was immediate. It was like I was washed clean and made new. And there followed one of the most intimate times of worship I think I've ever had, just me and God on the office floor. It was really, really lovely. We all mess up, don't we? Absolutely all of us. And it's not difficult for God to put us right when we mess up. But often the difficulty is the struggle we have within ourselves to admit what's gone wrong, and then to come to God humbly to ask for his forgiveness. It's a passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that we quite often read when we come to worship. Just that bidding for us to come with confidence into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, to come by a new and living way that's been opened for us through the curtain, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. God dwells in a holy place, but Jesus has opened the way, a new and living way for us to come right into God's presence. He comes and he wants to cleanse us from that guilty conscience that we carry with us. And I love the times that we have here in church of worship and celebration, that sense of drawing near to God, of him drawing near to us. But at times it can feel for me that we almost crash into God's presence perhaps without pausing to reflect and remember that it is only by God's grace that we can enter, only by his grace that we can come. And it's not by anything we do, but it's by what Jesus has done for us. Like David, God desires and deserves our worship, but we can only come on his terms. We can only come through Jesus. It costs God dearly to open up that new and living way. A song we often sing, I don't take what you give lightly, friendship instead of disgrace. So those moments that come when, like David, we feel we're brought short, we feel 
We have to acknowledge our brokenness and our sinfulness. We feel humbled. Actually, rather than fearing those, why not see them as the signal to come to God, to be humbled by his mercy? But that's okay. You know, in doing that, we get to encounter the living God, and that's what he wants for us. So back to David and 2 Samuel 6, one last time. How must he have felt at the end of the day? Mission accomplished. The ark had come safely up to Jerusalem and his heart must have been full of praise. We read how he blessed the people and he sent them all home with gifts. And then he went to his own home to bless his own household. But trouble awaited him there. Michal, who was Saul, the previous king's daughter, who'd been given to David as a wife, we read in verse 16 as she watched David coming into Jerusalem. And when she saw him leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. So when David got home, she challenged him and said, what were you doing disrobing like that in the sight of everyone? Well, David must have been really taken aback and I think deeply saddened by her response. But he stood his ground. What mattered to him was that he honoured God and he didn't mind what anybody else thought about him. The consequences for Michal were she had no children for the rest of in her life. And you know, worship and holiness is not just about what we do or don't do when we come near to God. It's also about our hearts, how we respond to what others do or don't do in worship. We're told in the Bible to guard our hearts because it's the wellspring of life. And when we get into the territory of passing judgment on someone else, I think we're on dangerous ground. I often find myself challenged by a verse from Romans that says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he'll stand or fall. And he will stand because God is able to make him stand. So how others worship may or may not be your style. You know, we don't have to do what other people do, do we? But I think what we can do is to allow the Spirit of God in them to witness to the Spirit of God in us in a way that enables us to draw near to God. I love that story of Moses when he'd met with God on the top of the mountain, coming down with his face shining with the glory of God. And Paul tells us that we also are going to reflect God's glory as we become more like him, as we're transformed more and more into his likeness. So one of the things that I know inspires me when I worship is as I see other people worshipping, it draws me near. So rather than judging and despising others for the way that they worship, why not seek to have humble hearts, hearts that allow ourselves to be inspired by others, that enable us to draw near to God. We're going to come in a moment to share communion together, the tokens of bread and wine that remind us of what Jesus did to open that new and living way for us so that we could draw near to God and worship. We could have peace with God. And as we come, why don't we stand together and just take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit to come and search our hearts and to help us to know what's there Not so that we feel judged or condemned, but so that we have an opportunity to come and say to God, I'm sorry, cleanse me, heal me, make me new. So let's stand together, shall we? And then I'll use these words of King David's as a prayer.
um, as we lead into worship. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Why don't we join together in the prayer of preparation as we draw near to God. So together we pray. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen.
And Jesus, we thank you for bringing us here to your table this morning. We thank you that we are here gathered around the cross with these tokens of your body and your blood that was broken so that we could be made whole and find peace with you. So we pray this morning that you would meet us and speak to us and help us to receive from you all that you want to give. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. It is right to praise you, Father, Lord of all creation. In your love, you made us for yourself. When we turned away, you did not reject us, but came to meet us in your Son. You embraced us as your children and welcomed us to sit and eat with you. In Christ, you shared our life that we might live in him and he in us. He opened his arms of love upon the cross and made for all the perfect sacrifice for sin. On the night he was betrayed at supper with his friends, he took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to him, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His body is the bread of life. At the end of supper, taking the cup of wine, he gave you thanks and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we do this in remembrance of him. His blood is shed for all. As we proclaim his death and celebrate his rising in glory, Send your Holy Spirit on us, that this bread and this wine may be to us the body and blood of your dear Son. As we eat and drink these holy gifts, so make us one in Christ, our risen Lord. With your whole church throughout the world, we offer you this sacrifice of praise and lift our voice to join in the eternal song of heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And let's pray as our Saviour has taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Let's just take a moment to ask the Lord to come amongst us and to show us those things that he's wanting to do in us and through us 
and for us this morning. So Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would come and that you would make our hearts clean. Lord, that you would renew a right spirit within us. We pray that you would help us to know, Father, if there are particular things that you're wanting to say and do for us this morning. In this space now, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to show us and speak. as we wait on the Lord, if you sense the Lord is giving you a word that uh, might be for somebody else, then do please speak it out in this space. there are some as well who are struggling to make sense of things that have happened and God wants to give the gift of grace to be able to trust him in the midst of difficulties. And just that sense that Jesus bids us come, we're all welcome at his table. We have all messed up but we're all welcome. And the blood of Jesus is able to cleanse and heal and make a way. So if those, any of those words or anything else that's on your heart is something that you would really appreciate somebody praying with you for, just bring a notice sheet with you when you come forward and folk would be pleased to pray for you. If you'd like to look this way. 
draw near with faith. Receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he gave for you, and his blood, which he shed for you. Eat and drink in remembrance that he died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith, with thanksgiving. So do be seated. Feel free to join in the worship songs and come forward when invited. The children will be looked after till 12, so we've got plenty of time. Folk assisting with bread and wine and prayer ministry could come up and help. That would be great. <coughs>